plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Well, hello, Power Partners, and welcome to our final show of 2020. Can you believe it's almost a new day? What a tough year this has been and what we have learned. But welcome to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We're brought to the airwaves under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity. We're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. This is the Empowerment Channel. The miracle moment for today is uh, by Be the Star You Are. And I just want to remind you that um, according to a temporary act in the CARES Act of this year, you can deduct 100% of any um, donations you make to your charity of choice uh, from your AGI, from your adjusted gross income, if you choose to do that. So consider making a last minute donation to Be The Star You Are. Go to Be The Star You Are Dot org. It would help immensely. And this is from Dr. Joyce Brothers. The secret of having it all is loving it all. So I want to say it has been a rough year to say the least. And just like you, uh, we here are touched by all the sadness, the loss, the outrage, the grief of the year. But we're also thankful for all the moments of selflessness and bravery and kindness, compassion, hope, humor, solidarity, and I am personally very hopeful that our world will heal from the divisiveness and that uh, global vaccinations will allow us to once again come together for those who decide that they want the vaccine. And no matter what we hear at Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and Voice America Network, we're here with you. We're ready to put a pin in 2020 and hold hope and optimism and peace in our hearts for 2021. So we're going to make next year a great year. And that's, that is my goal for this, for this coming year. Well, um, as I said, it has been a tough year. And I thought that it was so interesting um, how, you know, we can find the rays of light in the darkest skies. I mean, they always say that the stars shine brightest when it is the darkest at night. And I was reading this um, great article by Joanne Jenkins on where we stand. And I just thought I would read a little of this to you because it kind of encapsulated everything about 2020. And then in our next segments, uh, because people really responded well and seemed to really love the fact that I read a couple of chapters from the, uh, my award-winning book, Be the Star You Are, 99 Gifts for Living, Loving, Laughing, and Learning to Make a Difference, I thought I would finish out the year by reading a couple more chapters that could be encouraging and inspiring for you. But 
this year really has been a year like no other that we've known. The COVID-19 pandemic, the rise in racial tensions and violence, an extremely contentious election, it really combined to disrupt our daily lives and created challenges and questioned a lot of long-held beliefs. So we've had a lot of loss. There's been pain, suffering, anxiety. Everyone's endured it. And millions of people have lost their jobs. People have seen their savings depleted. They've had to take on extra responsibilities as caregivers or home nurses for a sick partner, parent, or child. They've had to do homeschooling. You know, staying at home has taken a toll on the mental and emotional health of so many people as well. And it's been especially difficult for older Americans and their families who face high risks not only medically and financially, but also socially as a result of an increased isolation and loneliness. And so many people who are in senior living um, facilities are not able to see their loved ones, their friends or their families, or they're only allowed to see them through the window, or maybe there's a time, you know, they can see them once every two weeks. So it's very, very difficult on people. But still, there has been the case throughout our history, and American people are remarkably resilient in adapting to any kind of what we'll have to call new normal. So we have learned how we can use technology to stay connected and diminish the isolation that sets in when personal contact decreases or just is not possible. I mean, I, it's um, unbelievable how much Zoom and Skype and FaceTime everyone has been doing. And people who didn't even know how to embrace technology before have now speeded up and they are com- you know, um, comfortable with it. And we've seen the emerging trends in telemedicine, remote working, distance learning, long distance caregiving. These are all tools now that can assist us in many of our daily activities, including banking and shopping and ordering groceries and getting our prescriptions filled. Almost everybody that I've talked to in the last week has told me how they are literally relying on technology to have things delivered um, from from their food and prescriptions. They're doing all their banking, their mailing, everything they possibly can do, they're doing online. So, you know, that's a positive that people are able to um, get up to speed. But the challenges of the year have also given us time to focus on ourselves. We have been able to clear out closets, uh, clear out garages. Well, I'm not quite on the garage yet, but I have been working on the drawers and the closets. And we have been able to get rid of things we didn't need. And I have done a lot of that from, you know, from uh, donating clothes that were in very good condition to appliances, to uh, microwaves and toasters and things because um, in closing down an office, I had a lot of office furniture and different things and and donated them to fire relief and different people in need. So that was really great. A lot of people have rearranged their homes to make them serve as offices or even classrooms for their kids. And of course, movie theaters. (laughs) People are definitely streaming, especially they're with, you know, the Netflix and Amazon and Apple and all the different servers out there. And many of us have taken this as a moment to increase our savings because there's 
much fewer day-to-day expenses. Uh, working from home has allowed us to save money on commuting costs, on parking, on bridge tolls, road tolls, on gas, and or even public transportation. We also have not spent so much money on entertainment because not too many people can travel. We haven't been able to eat out, go to movies or concerts or sporting events, or even get a haircut or a manicure or new clothes. I know I have been cutting my own hair now since last February. I guess it looks fine, but you know, it'd be nice to be able to get my hair cut by a professional. So that but the past year has given us time to pause and think about what's important in life and what we want to do once we return to something that could be called normal. Even though we've been apart, we've been together, and I think it showed us the things that really do matter in life, where friends and family and health are so, so, so critical to our well-being. Now, racial tensions have caused many of us to reflect on the kind of country that we want to live in and to fight even harder for social justice. And in some unexpected ways, Social distancing has really probably brought us closer together. By not being able to spend time with our friends, our families, our colleagues, we've come to realize how important those relationships are to us. And in many cases, they have become much stronger. I mean, many families have grown closer just by the virtue of having to spend so much time with one another and and also just knowing that you have to make a phone call or you have to FaceTime or you have to Zoom. So we have begun to realize that it's incredibly in, uh, critical to nurture our relationships and they have to be a priority when the pandemic is over, not just now. So as we close out this year and look forward to that time when this pandemic is under control, and we can return to some kind of routine, we have to remember that with every ending, there is a new beginning. So what do we want to make of a fresh start? Ask yourself, what have you learned this past year? What have you taken away from the events, from the chaos, from the tragedies? And what will be the lessons that you can live better with? in the year and the years to come, I think that we all have a lot to learn. Well, I'm going to be reading a few chapters um, in the rest of the radio show from Be The Star You Are, 99 Gifts for Living, Loving, Laughing, and Learning to Make a Difference. If you want to pick up copies of this book or any of my books, you can go to CynthiaBryan.com, click on the store, and with um, additional goodies that we'll be sending you besides, you know, bookmarks and personalized autographs and notes and probably some seeds and potpourri, right now we're also sending you inspirational CDs that you can put in your car and listen to or um, and it's music that I think will be very helpful. So this is The Gift of Leadership. As a child, did you ever play the game of follow the leader? Well, the leader determined the group's direction and everyone had to follow. Leadership is not something you're born to do. Leadership is an earned skill. Leaders are people who form a vision 
and convince others to collaborate in implementing it. Now, people tell me all the time that I'm a born leader because I seem so confident, passionate, and optimistic. From the time I was three years old, I was organizing my numerous cousins and giving them parts and performances that we'd give on Sundays at our weekly family get-togethers. In spring, this took place at the picnic grounds on our hill. In winter, they would be at a relative's home. And as the leader, I made sure that everyone participated to the extent they wanted. The cousins were exhilarated at their competence. The parents were proud of their thespians. And I found I liked leading. My formal education began in first grade. There were no preschools or kindergartens when I grew up in our area of the farm. As the eldest in our family, I felt obligated to come home each night and teach my younger siblings everything. I had learned at school that day. One day, the teacher mentioned Girl Scouts. Although I had no clue what Girl Scouts did, I knew it was an organization for girls. So with no groups in our area, at age seven, I founded our ranch house, Junior Girl Scouts. I was the leader of the pack. Members included my sisters and the daughters of ranch hands. Every weekend, I organized learning expeditions. I would hand everyone a piece of cardboard, some tape, a crayon, and off we'd go into the hills scouting for wildflowers, which we would identify using our nature book. Or sometimes we would pretend we were explorers discovering new worlds, like Magellan or Columbus or my personal favorite, Ponce de Leon. As leader, it was my job to scout ahead and make sure there were no lurking rattlesnakes. An oak tree or a buckeye tree would catch our fancy, and one of us would pronounce this our territory. And from that day forward, no one could climb that tree without permission from the discoverer. One of my sisters loved these adventures, so I gave her straight A's for her enthusiasm. On the other hand, my other sister didn't like the history lessons or the wildflower gatherings. She wouldn't heed my directions, and she thought what we were doing was just plain stupid. She was more interested in playing on the tractors, and I routinely flunked her for the day. I didn't realize that instead of reproaching her for her lack of interest, a real leader would have encouraged her, inspired her, and listened to her. So one day I decided it was time to teach my band of merrymakers merry how to dive. Everyone was excited. We didn't have a swimming pool, so being creative, we hiked up to the cow trough, which was full of spring water. I announced that this is where we would learn the fine art of diving. And remember, I, as the leader, I'm seven years old. Well, everyone wanted to go first, but I proclaimed, I am the leader, or so I thought. Confidently, I climbed up on the rim of the cow trough and with much fanfare dove into the murky water. When I came to the surface, I felt a bit lightheaded, but I boldly announced, see how easy it is? Now you try it. And then I quickly passed out. I had hit the bottom of the trough and torn my chin on a big bolt. Blood was everywhere. That day, at age seven, I learned that leadership is more than being the oldest, the strongest, the tallest, or the smartest. Leadership is not about bossing people around or getting them to do what you want done just because you say so. Leaders are not dictators, nor are they careless. After that, I became a humble leader. 
And I encouraged everyone else to show off her own skills, her own strengths, and her own unique abilities. I had learned that authority is not leadership. Leaders must have the courage to do new things, to take chances, and to endure the consequences of their decisions. Almost by definition, a leader braves strange new territory, dreams bigger dreams, and dares to go where no one has gone before. Leadership also means being responsible for yourself and your charges. A leader's job is to inspire, to motivate, to make it easy to do the right thing. A good leader knows how to gather the most intelligent and knowledgeable people for the task at hand, and then get out of their way and let them create their own magic. Leaders encourage others to break through their barriers, release their fears, and reach for success. A true leader never threatens, but instead offers trust, encouragement, gratitude, and recognition when others do something well. Great leaders let go of ego. Leaders listen to their own hearts and souls and help others to listen to theirs. That's why people love to follow the leader. Now, since the cow trough fiasco, I have had other strenuous lessons in leadership, and I've learned to hone my skills. An old Italian proverb says, keep the company of good people and you'll increase their number and accomplish your mission. For my television shows, I've done just that, bringing together the best people I can, exciting them with my vision, and then letting them do what they do best. And together, we explore life's issues. There are no rules for becoming a strong leader. You proceed at your own risk. It helps to look, listen, and think creatively. Leaders design new methods, strategies, products, and solutions. Leaders innovate. Each of us plays many roles in life. Sometimes you will need to be the leader. Sometimes you will need to be a follower. And the skills and awareness you learn in both roles can make you a wiser, more effective leader, an enthusiastic, loyal, and judicious follower. And I have a quick exercise. It's called leading the pack. When you think of the word leader, what first comes to mind? Do you picture a real person, an authority figure, a politician, or yourself? Let's start working on you as a leader. Write a list of the qualities you admire in someone you feel is a true leader. Put a check next to the qualities you now possess. Do you have many of their qualities? If so, pat yourself on the back and pledge to keep developing those virtues. If not, choose a quality you will concentrate on improving. A great leader makes it easy to do the right thing and difficult to do the wrong thing. The success of the pack is determined by the success of the leader. And when we come back from break, we will be talking more about Be The Star You Are, and I'll give you a few more chapters for pondering and inspiring you for 2021. I'm Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style, Be The Star You Are. We're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. I'll be right back. Be the star you are. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. 
Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world, lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR, 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 and visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan, www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show. Well, we're back. Thank you so much for staying with me here on Star Style. Be the star you are Again, if you are interested in any of the books that I've written, but this uh, specific one is Be the Star You Are, 99 Gifts for Living, Loving, Laughing, and Learning to Make a Difference. It's been a favorite of everyone who reads it for a long time. Just visit CynthiaBryan.com and click on the store. Now, this is called The Gift of Lifelines. An East Coast literary agent and book reviewer wrote me one day that I've just finished a set of reviews and I'm back in the world of the living. Writing under a last-minute deadline, rushing against the clock, is always the equivalent of a near-death experience for me. I was struck by how people equate deadlines with death. The idea of a deadline is so destructive that I urged him to look at them as lifelines. Instead of thanking me for my wisdom and insights, he was furious because I was not empathizing with his pain. Some of us respond to every deadline like a champion racehorse hearing, they're off. But most of us occasionally torture ourselves with the effort of getting things done on time and on budget. Now, I'm just as guilty as the next person, but life usually goes on whether we meet our due dates or not. And sometimes we are stressed because we procrastinated and we have only ourselves to blame. That increases our distress. The mere thought of meeting a deadline used to give me cold chills. Deadline meant that if I didn't finish on time, I actually could die. The pressure and anxiety could be paralyzing. At one point, I decided I would no longer have deadlines. No, I didn't stop being a human being or stop completing tasks. I simply changed my vocabulary. I now call my deadlines lifelines. So when a project is due by a certain date, 
I look forward to that time as a positive thing. My life will be improved when I complete my tasks by my lifeline, and I will reward myself for finishing the project. This keeps me energized and puts a stop to procrastination. We all have to meet our timelines. Just change the wording from dead to life, and you'll approach due dates more positively. Deadlines wither, lifelines enhance. And the exercise for this chapter is called Turning Deadlines into Lifelines. The next time you are procrastinating or distressed about finding a project, change your deadline to a lifeline. Write down a reward that you will give yourself when your project is complete. It doesn't have to be costly or elaborate, just something that enhances you so you will look forward to completing the task. One of the rewards I tantalize myself with in the summer is time to go outside and sit in the garden with a big bowl of ice cream in the middle of my workday, listening to the birds and smelling the fragrance of the day. In the winter, I promise myself a big cup of hot cocoa, a blazing fire, a good book, and a cozy blanket ensconced in a comfortable chair for an hour of uninterrupted pleasure. Your deadly deadlines will be eliminated. Your tasks will be completed with less stress and your life will become more pleasurable. For the next seven days, keep a list of actions, big or small, that you tend to avoid. At the end of the week, do you notice any commonalities? Are they boring, potentially embarrassing or dangerous? Likely to require great effort without tangible results? Cross off anything you can realistically never do. Choose one of the other actions and then do it now. A dream is a goal with a lifeline. Throw yourself a rope. The gift of listening. In 19th century Britain, there were two famous political rivals, Gladstone and Disraeli. A lady who had met both was asked by her friends to describe them. Well, she said, when I met Mr. Gladstone, he convinced me he was the most brilliant man in the world. But when I met Mr. Disraeli, he convinced me that I was the most brilliant woman in the world. When was the last time someone listened to you like that? Listening isn't always easy. Our mind races ahead of a conversation with responses to what is being said and points we want to make, so we stop hearing. Listening requires enormous discipline, but it's a learnable skill. Forget cars, CD players, or the latest designer sports shoes. The best gift you can give teenagers is to listen, really listen to them. When I had my two teens, I made many mistakes, but one thing I learned from my own years is the value of listening without commenting or judging. And much of the time, of course, I'm just biting my tongue. My son has never been one to talk much or to share his feelings, but when he does, I have to remind myself to open my ears and let him know I hear him. My daughter's just the opposite. She likes to confide in me and tell me everything that's happening in her life. But even though we're really close, I learned that if I make a comment or a suggestion, she may climb up and say, 
I can't tell you anything. You just don't understand. So I listen quietly. Sometimes kids and adults just need to get things out of their systems. They're not asking for advice or comments or strategies to make it better. They just want to be heard. If they do need help, it does no good to offer any until they ask for it. So save your advice. I save my advice for times when they're likely to listen. Now, our family rules are strict but fair. One night, my son exploded because we had said no to something he wanted to do. He shouted that we didn't trust him. We were being irrational. He was upset. He was angry. And I could have responded with equally strong emotions of my own retaliating like a dictatorial parent guarding a power base. But instead, I listened quietly and carefully. And what I heard was almost an exact repeat of my own words at his age. I clearly remembered a terrible argument I had had with my own parents when I wanted to attend a Jefferson Starship concert in San Francisco with my high school boyfriend. My parents had real concerns about drugs and violence and sex and car accidents. But when I heard them saying was, we don't trust you. And I was devastated because I was very trustworthy. And after several days of battling and feeling miserable, we finally did listen to one another. I heard their worries and I understood their logic. And they heard my arguments and they acknowledged that I was an honorable and respectable young lady. They allowed me to attend the concert and I was extra cautious to obey their rules and live up to the responsibilities they had given me. When they had really listened to me with both their hearts and their minds, their fears were minimized. It was the only big argument I had ever had with my mom and dad. And with my son, I really listened too. I realized he was justified in expecting to be trusted. How better to help our teens know their own self-worth than to give them more responsibility? A few days later, he had several of his buddies over to the house for their weekly guys event of Monday night football. The boys were talking about college plans. And all of a sudden, my, said, my son said to one of his friends, talk to my mom about your concerns. She'll help you. She really knows how to listen. And then he looked at me. Mom, you have to help him go for his dreams. Notre Dame is all he's ever wanted, but he doesn't think he's good enough. Talk to him. You're the dream queen. Sometimes kids hear us when we don't think they're listening. Whenever anyone says, you never listen to me, it's usually true. Someone starts a statement and our mind rushes to predict what will be said, sometimes so intrusively that we fail to hear the real message. Our minds can process words and ideas at an incredibly high speed, much faster than speech. And that's an explanation not for really listening, but it is not an excuse. Have you ever been in a group and really listened to what others were saying? Almost no one does. People are usually more focused on their own reactions and concerns about what others think of them. Why stop our own intensely interesting cerebral pyrotechnics and actually listen? Well, because when we listen, we learn something interesting about others. And we also learn about ourselves. If you can turn off the self-talk in your head and truly listen to someone else, two extraordinary things will happen. First, 
you'll leave with the feeling that you now know more about that person or situation than before. And second, the speaker will leave feeling that you are a fascinating, intelligent, and likable person because you were so attentive. The exercise is called active listening game. You do need a partner and an egg timer for this exercise. Grab a friend or a family member and set the timer to three minutes. Designate who takes the first turn to talk on any subject for three minutes. The listener must pay attention without interrupting until the timer dings. The timer is again set for three minutes and the listener must repeat what he or she heard. The listener begins by saying, this is what I heard you say. Let me know if I have understood you correctly. The talker has permission to give feedback and correct any miscommunications. And then switch positions, repeat the game. The former listener now talks on any subject for three minutes. You will be amazed at how quickly your listening skills will improve when you actively listen to what others are saying. We are each blessed with two ears and one mouth. So listen twice as much as you talk. The gift of love. When I was young, my mom said something that terrified me. She loved her children so much, she said, that she'd cut off her right arm to save our lives. I had nightmares that she might actually have to do it. Then how would she be able to hug us? It wasn't until I became a parent myself that I recognized the reality of such unconditional love. Mom sacrificed selflessly to give her children great food and education, self-esteem, and self-worth. And because we lived on a farm, she and dad drove us over a hundred miles a day just to get to school and back. When we forgot our lunches, she'd make another trip to be sure that we ate. She was involved in all our activities. She attended all our sports, our cheerleading, our 4-H events. She volunteered for every parent committee so she could stay involved with her children. At Christmas, Dad would take us kids shopping, and we'd each buy Mom our favorite present. Every Christmas, Mom got five flannel Mother Hubbard nightgowns. For her birthday, we would shower her with homemade gifts, such as cookies and colored leaves and knitted items and hand-framed photos. We'd cook her a special dinner, and Dad always made a big to-do about his queen. We treasured her dearly within the family, but we never celebrated her publicly. When her 70th birthday approached, my two sisters, my brother and I decided it was time to give mom a big surprise party to show our appreciation for all those years. Now, keeping it a surprise turned out to be a considerable feat. One sister insisted we tell her in advance so she could invite the guests of her choice, but the rest of us had vetoed that idea. Then we divided up the duties. One family worked on invitations and catering. Another arranged for lighting and cake. I handled the decor, choosing a garden theme so mom could take the decoration home afterwards. We booked a rural firehouse and started early on a Saturday morning to transform it into a Garden of Eden. All her children, grandchildren, and spouses came to help set up. Trellises, birdhouses, hoses, water buckets, garden tools, rakes, potted plants, candles, potpourri, garden lights, hummingbird feeders, and all types of beautiful accessories adorned the tables and walls, while hundreds of balloons in wine colors of Cabernet, Chardonnay, Rosé, and Champagne floated throughout the air. It was gorgeous. Then the guests started to arrive, hundreds of them. 
laden with more gardening gifts and bringing their wonderful stories of mom. Mom arrived to a fireworks and rocket display thanks to her grandson, my son, and was totally surprised. The love that filled that firehouse could have ignited a real fire. To have reached the age of 70 and to have so many true friends and loving relatives celebrating her life was indescribably wonderful. As people danced and ate and laughed, I realized that the only thing in life that truly endures is love. Love is the deepest of all emotions. Fear and hate are awfully powerful, but love can beat them both. We are shaped and defined by who and what we love. We can never obtain love by asking for it, but we can always give love. Mom had given love all her life, and this day, her 70th birthday, others paid tribute and gave love to a loving person. As Goethe said, love is the reward of love. Sometimes love may seem a rare commodity, but like a garden, it can be nurtured from the harshest soil. Here are my seven rules for a loving world. Number one, make people feel good. Number two, make people look good. Number three, help them meet their needs. Number four, applaud their achievements no matter how small. Number five, go for win-win solutions. Number six, say I love you often and mean it. And number seven, expect the best from others. People often become what you believe in them. Start somewhere, anywhere. French poet Antoine de Saint-Exupéry has his little prince explain, We see accurately only with our hearts. The essentials are invisible to the eye. The exercise increase your lovability quotient. Nearly everyone says they would like more love in their lives. To have love, we must give love. What can you give? What are you giving? How are you giving? Love given conditionally is a bribe. It's not a gift. In the Jewish culture, there's a, a tradition of performing mitzvahs, literally blessings. Each day, one should do a good deed, preferably anonymously and with absolutely no expectation of acknowledgement, praise, or being repaid. Your assignment today is to perform one mitzvah, one special loving act for which you honestly expect nothing in return. Love is like happiness. The harder we seek it, the more it eludes us. Only when we can give it freely can it come back to us. It's like a boomerang. When we come back from break, we will have the gift of magic, and then we'll be ending our show for 2020. Thank you for joining me thus far. Stay tuned. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and we will be back in just a minute. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Be the star you are. The star you are. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. 
Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. BeTheStarYouAre.org. Dare to care. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show. Well, this is the season of magic. And so what better chapter to read you from Be The Star You Are, 99 Gifts for Living, Loving, Laughing, and Learning to Make a Difference than the Gift of Magic. Magic happened regularly around our house when I was a child. My family always has celebrated everything. Because our farm was isolated, the family traditions that our parents created were the mainstay of my childhood. As in most households, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter were eagerly anticipated festivities. But we had additional holidays. And one of those celebrations was three wise kings. My mom said because we lived in the country, it was easy for the three wise kings to park their camels outside our house. Three wise kings is also known as Twelfth Night, and it's celebrated 12 days after Christmas on January 6th. It honors the Magi who followed the star of Bethlehem, bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the infant Jesus. Now, because the three wise kings had to travel so far on camelback, they could only bring us small gifts, usually an orange or a tangerine, an apple, sometimes if we were lucky, an avocado or a mango, plus a small sweet and about 25 cents in coins. We loved Three Wise Kings Day because it made us feel very special. And my parents went all out to create magic in our lives. One year, my mom excused herself during dinner. Suddenly through the window, we saw a camel. She had acquired a large, huge, actually, stuffed camel and was outside moving it up and down like da-dump, 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 da-dump. We shrieked with excitement and awe, knowing that the kings were passing by. The next morning, we awoke to find jewels strung everywhere on the bushes and vines and trees. And there were camel's hoof prints and camel dung and a note that this had been a great year for the Magi, so they were sharing their wealth. I vividly remember the sensation of utter delight and can still see the shimmering jewels hanging from the trees. My parents had created the illusion with used costume jewelry from a Goodwill store, horse-made hoof prints and horse manure posing as camel dung. At Christmas, we didn't always get something we had especially asked for. Of course, we'd be so disappointed. And later in the day, Dad would suggest we take a Jeep ride around the ranch to see if anything had fallen off the sleigh. Sure enough, down at the barn or dangling in a grapevine would be that special gift. Once, a bicycle was sticking out of the chimney with a note attached. Sorry, it couldn't squeeze down. When every holiday provided an opportunity for my parents to be creative, we saw the Easter Bunny. We felt the Tooth Fairy's kiss. We witnessed Santa and his elves flying through the night sky with Rudolph's red light leading the reindeer. 
My sister remained an avid believer well into her teens, and eventually my parents had to tell her that it was all magic. And as we grew and questions arose, the response was always, if you don't believe in magic, magic never happens. I decided to believe. Today, my children delight at the magic they experience year-round in our household, and the three wise kings still visit. They remind me that when you believe it, you will see it. In an unmagical world, you create the magic in your life. Find ways to reinterpret your daily routine through the eyes of a child. Children give us a second chance to view the world with innocence and credulity. What magic is hiding in your soul? What simple things can become magical experiences if you just use a little imagination? And the exercise. Be your own fairy godmother. Imagine that you are a magician with a magic wand. You can even make a wand from a stick. Add a few ribbons or a sparkling star and presto, you hold the key to power. Wave the magic wand over your head when you want to change something, even your mood. The magic to create the life you want is inside you. Dream it, do it. Abracadabra. And if you don't believe in magic, magic doesn't happen. And the final chapter that I will read for today is called The Gift of Miracles. I remember exactly what I was doing when my sister called to tell me that my father was dying. When the phone rang, I was at my desk preparing for the next self-esteem class I was to teach at the Academy of Performing Arts. It's cancer, my sister said. The doctors told him to go home, drink his best wine, enjoy what was left of his life. There's absolutely nothing that can be done to save dad. He'll probably be dead within three weeks. I was shaken to my soul with grief. And then the anger set in. How could any doctor just write off my dad like this? This was my dad whom I adored and worshipped. My father can't possibly have cancer. I mean, he was a farmer. He was healthy and robust. He'd always eaten well, including lots of fruits and vegetables we grew ourselves. His one indulgence was a glass of red wine at dinner made from the grapes from his own vineyard. He worked the farm daily in the fresh air, getting plenty of exercise. He enjoyed a clean and happy life. My mind began to review all the special moments I had shared with my dad. I was the oldest, growing up on a farm that boasted grapes, walnuts, cattle, and kids. My parents worked from five in the morning when the first rooster crowed until seven at night when the last lamb had been put in the barn. And my, my father taught us that the value of hard work and pride is reap. I can still hear him in the morning climbing the stairs to wake us, whistling happily and announcing, Wake up, sleepyheads. It's a beautiful day. He would lift us onto the caterpillar tractor, to plow the fields with them. And when we were older, he taught us how to drive. In the springtime, he'd find baby jackrabbits whose mothers had been killed. He'd stop the tractor, put the bunnies in his coat pocket, and bring them home for us to raise until they were old enough to fend for themselves. He was so strong that when we were young, he'd lift my sisters and me from the floor with one finger. If anything ever broke, he could fix it. If we misbehaved, he never yelled. He just looked at us with those big brown eyes and let us know that we had disappointed him. He'd saddle the horses for us, tighten our wire ski bindings, and make us special concoctions of warm, sweet milk with bread when we were sick. He'd pile all seven of us into the willy jeep and drive straight up our steep hill for a picnic. With my dad, 
It was better than being at Disneyland. I remember how he cried when he walked me down the aisle on my wedding day and how at the funeral of my 16-year-old brother, he supported my mom and the rest of us who were near collapse. He was our tower of strength, our lion in winter, our gentle, patient, loving father. He was very young and he was madly in love with my mom after 42 years of marriage. And he was a grandfather to 11 grandchildren whom he treasured. I determined right then and there that my father was not going to die. Not now. Not until we had tried everything. We weren't ready. How can doctors, ordinary humans like you and me, be so sure nothing can be done? In my father's case, they had said that surgery was impossible, that he could die on the operating table, or that he would bleed to death. So I decided to take charge. Those were the days before information was readily available on the internet So I had to do my research the old-fashioned way. At the library, I checked out every book they had on cancer. I bought books and tapes by many authors, including Bernie Siegel, Gerald Jampolsky, Shakjik Wayne, Wayne Dyer. I called on my friends who were doctors or married to doctors, and I asked for help. I contacted anyone I knew who had struggled with cancer. I wanted experts and answers, and we had no time to lose. And then the miracles began. Everyone was kind. Everyone I called offered some information. One friend told me about the 800 cancer hotline. Another told me about cancer societies or the physician's data query or research centers or medical schools. I studied laughter therapy and was encouraged by the work of Norman Cussens, best-selling author of the book Anatomy of an Illness. Our first miracle occurred when my girlfriend was able to schedule a private appointment free of charge with renowned laughter guru. My mother, father, she, and I, we flew to meet with the late Norman Cousins, who had cured himself of a light-threatening disease. I'll never forget Mr. Cousins' words upon shaking my father's hands. I see you are a winner. You can beat this. My dad grinned from ear to ear. Yes, I can. We began our own therapy of positive thinking and mind over matter and laughter. And every day I sent my dad a funny joke to give him a good belly laugh. Doom and gloom were replaced by love and laughter. And the harder I fought for my dad's life, the more doors opened. Dad and I talked several times a day, and I could see he was getting as excited and optimistic as I was about possible treatments. I'm worried about your mom, he said, because she's so afraid that I'll suffer with surgery and die. I took my mom aside. Mom, you got to think positively. You have to believe in dad's ability to heal himself. She shook her head slowly and tears ran down her cheeks. I want to believe, but I trust our doctors and they say there's no hope, that we're wasting our time, that we're giving him false hope. I understood her fears, but felt deep in my heart that a miracle would occur. We found three experts who gave us some great news. They all agreed that my father's cancer was treatable. The treatment would be surgery after all. And now the real fight began. His national HMO insurance carrier refused to pay for any tests or surgery, saying that any treatment for his rare condition was experimental. This appeared to be a common evasion tactic, and it discouraged most patients from getting help, but not us. We had seven second opinions, all stating that surgery could save his life and that it was a standard procedure. And after several conversations with various insurance officers, I asked the CEO company why coverage was refused. 
He urged me to look at the situation from the insurance carrier's viewpoint. It was just too expensive to try to save a dying man. It was more economically responsible to let my dad die. I was astounded. And after conferring with my family, I called the CEO back and read him the press release that I had composed. I gave him a list of the television stations, the radio stations, and the newspapers around the country that would receive the announcement by the next day. The press release simply stated that the HMO had decided to play God and take the life of a simple farmer because it would save the insurance company money. It was a portrayal of David versus Goliath, and the CEO knew his company didn't stand a chance of winning any sympathy by battling us in the press. Approval for the procedure was granted the following morning, and knowing the power of these huge conglomerates, I reckoned that this was another miracle. And the gift of miracles will have to be concluded another day. There are more to come because we are at the end of the hour and the end of the year. So I just want to to thank everyone for this entire year of letting me be part of your life. I want to thank everyone at Voice America, especially my engineer, Josh, who's with me every single week, always cheering me on. And I want to thank you, as always, for being part of this and to all of the guests that I have had on this show this entire year from around the globe. Remember, you can change your life. You can make your dreams come true. And we really want you to read the books and that of the different authors that we have brought on the show, as well as tune into their music and their art and their poetry and all those good things. Remember that uh, you are the star of your own life. And for more information about me, visit CynthiaBryan.com and, you know, buy some of our products and books. The money goes to charity. For information about Be The Star You Are, visit BeTheStarYouAre.org and make a last-minute donation. It's 100% deductible. And this year, you can take it completely off your taxes. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate you. And until next year, when we celebrate again, remember that love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan for Star Style. I thank you and encourage you to be the star you are. Be your unapologetically authentic self and Have a very happy and healthy new year. Celebrate being alive and get in touch with family and friends. Thank you so much. Happy, happy end of 2020 and hello to 2021. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. You are. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. 
For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are. Keep caring. Keep caring. Keep caring. Keep caring.